Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And we are back. It's It's been a minute. Uh, lots happened since we've last recorded. Uh, I don't even remember when we last uh, did an episode. We oh, did have on. one in the... You, you remember when we last did it. Eh. I, I try not to. Yeah. Let's 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 try to forget. I, I, I'm trying to forget that, but um, I guess I do remember. But um, but we're back. It's summer. Uh, the weather is warm, at least in in California. Uh, it is it is beautiful out, and uh, we're we're gearing up again for uh, some fall UCLA sports. Um, lots lots going on, but I think before we get to uh, <laughs> our favorite not in topic that we we try to ignore sometimes but we know is important in UCLA football um let's let's talk a little bit about basketball there's there's a lot that's actually happened with the basketball team I think since we've last talked yeah across both sports this is I mean usually off seasons you try you're you're finding things to read or talk about but there's been a whole bunch going on uh for for UCLA in both sports and especially for basketball um I think a good place to start is, uh, I, I think the NBA draft, which just happened, right? Um, you know, we had three Bruins drafted uh, in in the NBA draft, so all the three uh, people that we expected to get drafted got drafted. Um, Jaime Jaquez, man, um, number eighteen, man, number hype for him, number eighteen, and it's never really cut and dry, right? In terms of you know, should a person come back? Should they stay in school? Uh, should they just go to the draft right away? It's I, it, I think fan, the way fans talk about that, it's much more nuanced than that. But in this case, you have to say uh, Jaime Hawkes earned himself a whole lot of money by choosing to come back, play a year as the guy uh, at UCLA, and then showcasing all the things that you know project him to be a good pro: toughness, uh, attention to detail, defense, rebounding, um, just an inclination to score even if he didn't shoot the ball as well as he would have liked in college um you know really happy for him yeah i mean what a what a college basketball success story a four-year player you know was a four-star recruit at a high school but wasn't a guy that was on really anyone's radar to be a, a high nba draft pick uh and and the guy just worked his tail off for year after year after year and got better and better and better. Um, and, and all the while, like by all accounts, just a good dude, right? Um, so easy to root for, uh, so easy to get behind him. Uh, and, and it's, it's just awesome to see all that pay off for him. Um, I'm, I'm very happy for him. Um, I do think there's a little bit of, you know, right fit, aspect to this draft is pick for him as well like i think if the spurs were not in that or sorry the spurs the heat were not in that um uh position to draft him i don't know if he would have gone that high um but i i'm stoked for him i mean the heat are are the perfect place for him you know the the heat culture that everyone's been talking about for years under Pat Riley and Spolstra is a real thing and and Jaime fits that to a T and he's been showing out in, in summer league too I mean his first game he had that monster dunk but he's been playing really well uh it just you know can't can't be more excited for him I will I will root for him no matter where he's playing uh I was hoping praying it was a complete long shot but um, I was hoping the Lakers would take him. They did not, but I will still, I will always root for him. <laughs> I was hoping for that too, even though, I mean, he's not really what probably what the Lakers need from a roster standpoint, but I was hoping for it too, definitely. Um, but Hey, he didn't go to the Clippers. That's a positive. Um, very glad that didn't happen. That's a, that's a career killer. That's a career killer. The next Bruin drafted Amari Bailey goes early second round to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, you know, this is this is one where you know I, I personally think maybe he's, I, I feel like he could be a little undervalued right now, um, because it's easy to look at his year, and his stats and say, oh well, you know, he had a pretty average season. But then when you actually look at how he improved throughout the year, to then peak the way he did in those last you know three four weeks, 
Um, and then especially when Jalen Clark went down to take the responsibility that he did, um, I thought there was a real player there developing. And he did really well in his pre, pre-draft workouts, but, you know, wasn't able to get over that first-round hump. Still, I think he'll end up having a, having a good career. And and it's funny the conversation around Amari is a, is exactly this right? Did the Hornets get a lot more value for that second round pick than um, they would have otherwise? And and the the consensus so far amongst a lot of you know basketball heads that have been watching summer league and are really uh, in tune with what's going on seem to think that the Hornets got a, a major steal here. Uh, and and he's been proving it on the court. He's been playing well. Again, it's still summer league. Like you know, how many times do we see guys blow up in summer league only to do nothing? But I I, I do think that he is a guy that that can uh, and that can and will stick around in the league for a very long time. He has all the tools. Uh, I think that he is going to show a lot of folks that he was undervalued in this draft. I think in, you know, several years when you look back at it, he's going to be a guy that people will look at and say, wow, he went in the second round. That's, that's wild. Yeah. And, and, and the conversation around him with a lot of UCLA fans right now is, you know, should uh, he have stayed, should he have stayed. Right. And, and again, this is where I go back to that. I, I always say that's a nuanced thing. Uh, guys like Amari Bailey, probably have it in their heads since their sophomore year in high school that they're going to be one and done and like as much as you might read the reports during the year that oh well he's considering you know making sure he's a first round pick this and that when that moment comes and you realize you're about 90 days away for or less less than that from achieving your lifelong dream of being an NBA player that is just way too hard to pass up um, and, and, and beyond that, I mean, the money is good today for, for second round players. There is enough opportunity going around, um, for guys to, to, to get better and develop. So, you know, that, this is where I, I, it, it, I, it's, it's a nuanced thing. It's not as simple as like, oh, he should come back. Like these guys' dreams is not to play for UCLA, unfortunately, as much as I would love that it's to play in the NBA. And, and I do think that for Amari especially is, is an interesting case. Like money wasn't and has never been the primary motivating factor. I, I think that, you know, getting that first round pick was great with all the, the guaranteed money and whatnot. But I, I don't think the, the money particularly here was a motivating factor. I think you're right. It's the lifelong dream of being an NBA player. And, and for him, that was clearly the goal. And he went and took that opportunity. Do I think he could have benefited from a year coming back? Maybe. I don't know. Especially next season, you know, next draft is considered a pretty weak draft. So could he have climbed up into that Probably. first round? Probably. But again, that's a, a year deferral of your lifelong dream. Um, I, I get it. Uh, and, and I do think that he'll he'll be pretty successful regardless of where he was drafted at this point. But um, remains to be seen. But, you know, so far, early signs are, are good for him. Then I think the big success story of this entire draft was Jalen Clark, you know, closer to the end of the second round, but going to Minnesota um, to get drafted with the injury that he has, I think was a, is a major achievement. Um, and we've talked so much about how, you know, the recruiting and AEU fraternity and such uh, has been slower to adapt to McCronin, partially because, you know, they don't see the NBA success uh, coming from him, him and his, his players just yet. But I think, you know, this is a great example of, you know, Jalen Clark is getting drafted purely because he has developed into a defensive specialist and teams value that today. And I mean, that that's a, an amazing achievement for someone who, again, is probably not going to be playing next year and still is going to get drafted because he was he's considered that good of a defender. And that's basically what the T-Wolves have been saying about him. If you look at the the statements from their coach and GMs and whatnot like that is what they all to a T have said like this is a guy that want we want to build defensive culture around we want to bring him in and he he wants to he, we want him to be that guy right that that defender the guy that dog who's gonna you know hound other players and and bring that toughness on defense and and. You're right. It's valued, and Jalen put in the work. He's always been a good defender. We've loved that tenacity on defense as Bruin fans for several years now. 
um, and he went out and earned it. And you can't you can't be anything but happy for the kid. Like it's 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 great to see. He deserves the world. Uh, glad to see him get get drafted, and hopefully when he comes back healthy, he'll be be around the league for a very long time. I think he has he has the tools. Um, and I think the more so than the even the tools like the drive and willpower to to keep playing, um, you know he's a guy who'll always give his all out on the court. So excited for him. A um, few other guys I think that are that are and actually before we move on to the other guys, I think your point around like Mick Cronin's not or the knock against Mick Cronin being guys not getting drafted or not having NBA success. Um, obviously you have these three guys who got drafted, which is a great story for UCLA and McCronin, but then you have guys like Peyton Watson who got drafted last year, really kind of starting to develop and show some things. Uh, he's been having a pretty good summer league. His last game, he really went off. Uh, obviously he just won a ring, um, with, uh, the Nuggets, but you know, having having a guy like that now starting to kind of sh- develop a little more is also kind of cool to see. Um, and I think a lot of that is built on the foundation Mick Cronin gave him in the one season. We saw that development as Bruin fans. So I think that knock against Mick at this point is should be, hopefully, non-existent now. People don't always use logic in sports, but uh I, yeah. I think the track record speaks for itself unfortunately probably we're gonna have to see this play out for a couple years and then we have you know a, a record of you know five six seven guys on rosters across the league like probably that's the point at which it all shuts down if we remember for for ben howland it was kind of a similar story right um you know ben howland holds his players back and then about five years later you see the entire league is littered with ucla players um, that are able to not just earn that first contract, but the second and third, and and so on and so forth, and and maybe this this follows a similar story there. But I'm glad you brought up Peyton Watson because I I kind of bucket him with Jalen Clark in this sense. Um, you know, both are being drafted based on the fundamentals and coaching that they've received at UCLA. Jalen Clark is an injury case, but he has shown and and always for Jalen Clark, right? I mean, as a recruit. He was considered a borderline kind of UCLA level recruit even, but was a guy that was willing to earn it playing defense. Then we came to UCLA, he was pretty deep on the bench, but was able to earn his time playing defense. And then this past year, won defensive player of the year, national defensive player of the year, and made his name once again playing defense, gets drafted that way. Peyton Watson is a guy who barely played on at UCLA, but was able to show showcase improvement and again, just observing UCLA practices, observing like him being in that environment was a lot of the reason the Nuggets say that they ended up picking him. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, good Nuggets there to use. Again, uh, when does that, that narrative turn? I think it's only probably when in, in a year or two from now when we have multiple guys on rosters. But but hey, that's just how this, this cookie crumbles sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And then we, we also have guys like Johnny Juzang lighting it up right now, too. Right. And I think a lot of that he he didn't take off like he did until he got to UCLA and give give Mick Cronin some credit for his development, too. So he we're starting to see the uh, UCLA to NBA pipeline kind of develop again. Not that it ever really went away. I mean, I think under Alfred we had so many talented high school kids that were basically NBA ready already that had to play the one year come through but I don't give him a lot of credit for developing those guys but guys like Jaime Jaquez guys like you know Johnny Juzang even uh guys like Jalen Clark that's that's all coaching and that's that's something Mick can hang his hat on yeah well and and this is a good segue, I think, now into roster building um, and what, what's been going on this offseason because um, in the ideal world, Jaime Hawkes would be seen as a, as a, as a success story. Um, and in the ideal world, you know, even Peyton Watson and Amari Bailey, you know, you would take a look at the improvement they had and then, you know, see how ready they might be to, to sustain an NBA career. Um, unfortunately, the high school diaspora doesn't see it that way they don't want to hear about how you can stay for four years and then make the league uh, they want to hear about how you can get to the league in in a year or or two years at most 
and that's just, while maximizing nil while maximizing your nil right like unfortunately that's just the reality of the situation and so we've seen a shift um in recruiting strategy from ucla pretty heavily um in, in this offseason and as of this moment you know two we'll call it let's call it verbally committed signed players um you know in Ilan Fibloy and Jan Vide, and then two reportedly committed players, but has not publicly committed, in Adai Mara and Birke Buyuktunchil. Have you been practicing those? So uh, the last one, because we just learned about Birke's name, right? Um, we had dinner with some Turkish friends of ours and asked them, how do you say this name? Uh, so yeah, I was practicing. Are you doing some scouting? I did okay. some scouting. Did some okay. scouting. Um, but a change in philosophy, right? I mean, the, before we get into the ins and outs of the roster itself, right? I mean, four incoming players all seem to be a very high level. You know, Ilan Fibloué was recruited by the G League, um, and they don't they, or recruited by Gonzaga. So a lot of guys wanted him. Um, Adai Mada is considered to be a, a an, a, an NBA potential prospect. Um, potentially a first-round prospect at some point in time. Uh, and Berke, same thing. He's already appearing in mock drafts in the second round right now. So um, these are no slouches that we're getting in here. And this is, again, representing a clear shift in strategy. Yeah, I, I think there's a misperception here that a lot I've been seeing a lot with UCLA fans is that uh, UCLA is taking these guys and they, they're taking them out of desperation and I want to dispel that as a myth. I think we're not taking these guys out of desperation. These guys are four or five star caliber players if they were playing in the U.S. So let's just clear that air right now. Like this is not, these are not untalented players that we're taking because we couldn't get uh, American players today. These are highly, highly talented players that any program in the country would be happy to have right now. I think the shift right now, though, and the focus on this is because there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now with recruiting and college basketball. I think there's it's it's the NIL landscape is still burgeoning and new. It is still the Wild West. You know, people are flinging million dollar deals at you know 18 year old kids to come play at at a specific school they're not surefire talents always but they're everyone's expecting big payouts in nil and people are paying it and i think until we see this kind of balanced until we see this kind of shake itself out a little bit and we find some equilibrium i i think this is a sound strategy for mick cronin to take I think before people freak out about, oh, my God, we're not getting local kids. I don't think Mick Cronin is consciously not going long term, not going to go after local kids. I think this is a stopgap measure for the next year or two to see how this shakes out, how UCLA can prepare for this better, how we can actually you know play within NIL um, and play the strengths of UCLA. But until then... I give Mick Cronin a lot of credit for recognizing that there are a lot of talented basketball players overseas. Like and basketball has truly become a global sport, and there are a lot of very talented kids playing overseas in Europe and elsewhere, and that we can get them without some of these headaches of dealing with NIL and whatnot. Now, there's obviously other headaches that come with international recruiting, academics and language and immigration policies and all that kind of stuff. But let's put that aside for a second. Give him credit for understanding that, look, there's a fairly untapped market of players that we can go after here that don't need to deal with all this flashy NIL business. These kids are, are willing to come overseas, work hard, play hard, you know, buy into the culture. And, oh, by the way, it works really well for UCLA because UCLA is a pretty big brand globally. Um, so give him credit and give Ivo Simovic, who um, unfortunately got poached by the NBA uh, to the Raptors, uh, give him a lot of credit, too, for, for being that scout and being and having 
the wherewithal to, to strike up these relationships with these international players and their, their coaches and families. Yeah, uh, and, and we'll talk about Ivo Simovic in, in a second here, um, who obviously Mick hired him with this vision in mind that you know UCLA is such a big brand internationally um, and has never really tapped into it for so many reasons, but the, the main reason being it's just historically it is easier to get players from Southern California and overall California than it is to fly somewhere else and scout areas that you don't know so well. Um, and Ivo Simovich basically was the guy to cut through that tape. He knows the areas to go to. He has a lot of deep connections all throughout the European basketball circuit. Uh, and, and a lot of that resulted in laying the groundwork for the results that you are, it looks like we're going to see in this class. Um, but I think, broadly speaking, it's, it's a shift overall in basketball right now. And, and if you look at this, uh, the NBA has, has already beat us to the punch here. Um, and, and, and it's funny because usually in, in football, uh, college football is the experimental ground and, and, and the NFL just takes what they like and they implement it. Um, in basketball, I think the NBA kind of drives everything, right? So when the NBA shows this is what we want, uh, college starts to react to it. Uh, and in this case, I, I mean, I, I've been listening. I don't know if you've listened to the volume podcast, right? Um, Tim, Tim Bontemps, uh, Colin Cowherd, um, Jason Timth, uh, sometimes, and 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 they all ta- they've been talking about this for now, like over the since, since the draft finished. Um, the NBA and scouts in general have come to this conclusion that it's easier to actually scout European players who are playing against grown men than a college player who's played for one year against subpar competition most of the time. And the results are showing right now in the league, right? I mean, who's the best player that we just saw uh, throughout these playoffs? It's Nikola Jokic. But it doesn't stop there, right? Luka Doncic, Giannis, uh, DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, um, look at the, the number one draft pick this and year. And now we go to the draft this year. Six international players taken in the draft, right? Um, so, so this is an overall trend that is, hap- is, is, is actively taking place in the NBA, and if you look at the mock drafts for next year and, and subsequent years, m- this trend is only growing. More and more international players are making their way into those drafts, and in a way, it's funny because college hasn't really caught on to that yet. Uh, college is most places are sticking to the traditional roots of recruiting, and you have to give McRonan a lot of credit in this sense. Um, you know. I don't know if he recognized this as the trend. I don't know if he recognized this the way forward, or I don't know if he just saw this as another pool of talent that should be there for UCLA to take. Uh, I think it was the, the latter there, but whatever it is, it is another great pool of talent that is open to UCLA um, that should always be advantageous for them. Again, we talk about the natural advantages, advantages of UCLA. One of the biggest ones is, the, is just the brand of UCLA. And again, in in the states maybe today where the the local high school player doesn't want to stay in school more than a year or so that doesn't maybe matter as much but when you go overseas it, it means a great deal to some of these kids to be able to come to, 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 the, to the USA and go to UCLA for their education um, you know that, that that holds a lot of weight so I think uh, overall it's it's a good trend now with that said I don't think it's fully ideal um, I, you know I don't think it's fully ideal that the majority of our talent in in this class in particular it's four guys in a class of seven and one transfer right who is also an international player in his own right um so total five guys in the ideal world you know we would get players from our own backyard and from california and so on and so forth and we would supplement them with transfers and internationals and i think eventually that's where mcronan wants this to get to but in the interim, um, you know, he's, he's pulled off quite a coup here if we can pull it all off uh, with this roster. Look, we haven't fully given up on domestic recruiting either. I mean, our first re- commit for 2024 is Eric Freeney out of Corona Centennial. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we're going to see some sort of blend of international local recruiting. Uh, I, so... I think before people hit the panic button on, oh my God, we're not getting local recruits. 
here's a guy coming in. Uh, we have Devin Williams coming from Compton Magic, another local kid. It's not like we have completely given up here. I, I think we're just being a little choosier with some of the local recruits. Um, and, and, you know, Mick, Mick Cronin has always been a little picky with who he recruits. Uh, we've talked about it ad nauseum. I, I'm not going to go into the, the merits or not merits of, of that strategy, but he's always been picky. I think he's being a little pickier right now with some of those local recruits, especially when he has this kind of largely untapped market. There's been other schools that have been playing around in international recruiting for a while too. Gonzaga has been one of them uh, who's historically been very good at getting players from overseas. Arizona's gotten a few over the last few years, but you know, largely a lot of schools have really not been paying attention to it. And none of these other schools, I would argue, have the same brand recognition as UCLA internationally. Uh, They just, they don't. And so, you know, being able to capitalize on that while being picky with local recruits while we figure this NIL thing out, I I have zero issues with it. And I I think people and fans who are freaking out about it, like, need a reality check that this is kind of where we're at right now. And it gets us the same amount of, same level of talent that we would be if we're going after local recruits too. So I, I don't think it's anything to freak out over. Uh, I, we'll see where it shakes out and we'll see how this class shakes up. There's obviously some disadvantages of, of international recruiting. We've talked about a little bit, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it works, but I, I, I like it for now. Well, hard not to like it right now. Well, I'll, I mostly agree with you. Um, and what I'll say, and if people have to look at the strategy right now, I think it's pretty, it, 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 it's pretty on point when you look at it in a bit more detail, right? I mean, the the recruits we have gotten from the high school ranks this year project to be, you know, multi-year players. Um, so Sebastian Mack, Devin Williams, Brandon Williams, um, and then the next year, the 2024 class, uh, Eric Freeney. All these guys project to be multi-year players, and so I think that that'll be a good good foundation set to have and then for the big time talent is where we've gone to the the international ranks because especially for next year we needed a a real infusion of talent we we lost a lot uh from this past team and we needed some guys who were ready to produce right away and man we we've really pulled off something if we can close all this out um in terms of just getting guys who are going to be ready to contribute next year um, and, and I think that is great. I, I think there is a part of this where, you know, you know we've lost Ivo Simovich now. And so, you know, probably the next assistant coach is going to be some form of interna- international recruiter as well. Um, Mick Cronin, I'm sure, has, has also has his own roots now across, you know, using Coach Simovich's connections and such. Uh, so there's probably some foundation stones there. Um but this is where, again, you know, the, the, the pipeline of, like, local recruiting, it doesn't require English language testing. It doesn't require, um, you know, contract buyouts like we're seeing with some of the guys we're going after right now. And it doesn't require, you know, it's not dependent on one coach. And, and this is where I think Mick is definitely going to continue that, that going to make sure that the, that pipeline is active. If you look at the way we're recruiting 2024, um, we got our first commitment, and we're probably going to be really choosy on who we recruit in 2024, probably because the groundwork has already been laid, if I had to guess, in terms of the international guys we're going after, and we'll wait for the transfer portal as well. But 2025, it looks like, you know, we've, that's where it looks like we're resetting this to be more of, you know, hey, let's have a set in of, of U.S.-based local recruits, and we'll go after the transfers internationals, you know, based on how, how that all goes. So, I mean, overall, you can see there's a plan, and that's why, like, I, I, I'm overall com- comfortable with the whole thing, even if it's weird for me as a fan because I don't get to follow recruiting on a day-to-day basis on these guys. I don't see how many stars they have. And, you know, by all reports, they, don't, they haven't made public commitments because they don't care to make public commitments. That's not really a thing that they do over there. Um, so that's that's all weird for me, but but hey, uh, I'm sure come October, November, I'll love it. 
all, all of college basketball recruiting is weird right now. It's this isn't. I don't think we're experiencing the weirdness in a vacuum. There's all sorts of weirdness happening, right? I mean, you got you got things like the Marcus Adams recruitment happening. I, I find that just as as wild and weird as as going after an international recruiting. So it's yeah, it's, fair. it's it's a whole it's a whole new ball game. Uh, I mean, we're we're adapting in a specific way. Other people are adapting by throwing money at it. Uh, we'll see what kind of wins out and what remains sustainable in the next three, two, three years. If I were to guess, I, I feel like what Mick Cronin and, and crew are trying to lay the foundation for is a lot more sustainable than relying on essentially private donors to buy players, right? At a certain point, people get annoyed for of spending money if there aren't results, right? So... Well, if that money dries up or that money kind of goes in other places, and then then what happens with those recruits, right? And and I think again, this is a part of the shakeout and balancing of this whole NIL landscape that I think will happen in the next few years. But if we've found a way to mitigate some of that risk through international recruiting, and it feels like we have so far, um, then uh, yeah, again, I I think it's a great thing. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with it. I'm excited to see this like truly international team uh, being formed. I think that'll be fun to watch, and it it's truly kind of a representative of of UCLA being a an international school. So we'll have a lot more time to to deep dive into the roster itself, but 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 really quickly, if we just do a quick run through of this. Dylan Andrews is going to be the incumbent, not, or the returning player that is going to now take over the point guard spot. Um, I think we expect big things from him this year. We're going to need big things from him um, if we're going to go anywhere this season. And then at the wing spots right now, most likely Elon Fibloy is, is going to start somewhere. It looks like he's measuring at close to 6'7 right now uh, with insane vertical so that is that's nba level talent right there just in terms of standpoint did you see that photo of him doing the vertical yeah the man jumps like as high as center impressive yeah, yeah. so that, like that's watching that prepare yourselves if you know don't be disappointed if elon fibloy is is no longer here after this upcoming season um and then the other spot, I think, I personally think right now, Lazar Stefanovic, from the transfer from Utah, is probably going to start. Um, I don't know what you'd think about that, but we're going to need some experience somewhere, and I think his shooting um, is probably going to earn him a spot there. No, I agree with that. I think there's there's a very, very strong argument to be made to start Lazar Stefanovic. Uh, he has a ton of Pac-12 experience. He's been there. He's he knows how to win uh and he brings much needed three-point shooting that i think we've we uh are searching for still a little bit and he's definitely our best shooter there so i i totally see him starting for at least the beginning of the season now if we see a guy like burkes really emerge um it's possible that I think that spot could go to, to a guy like Burke, but I, I do think that it's going to be Stefanovic. I, I don't think it's going to be a guy like McClendon or anybody else playing in that kind of two-guard slash wing spot. Yeah, I think with these additions, McClendon, um, who, who we like, who, I, I mean, I, I know you and me liked him for at certain points of last year, but he's he plays probably, hard and plays good defense. Hard, good defense, doesn't turn it over, but he's probably going to have to show that he can play guard position uh, play any kind of guard um and and specifically he needs to show that he's willing to shoot and can make some percentage of his shots probably if he's going to stay on the floor uh much longer just given the guys that we brought in um now that doesn't maybe that's not hard and fast because these are a lot of freshmen that we're bringing in and if there's a bunch of turnovers going around then you know mcclendon that's an easy way for him to get a spot back but that'll, that'll be something interesting to see it'll be yeah i i mean i'm curious to see where he can he can get some backup minutes at least 
naturally he doesn't feel like a point guard though he can handle the ball and by all accounts it sounds like Jan Vide can handle the ball just as well and he can score and he's long and and can defend so it'll be interesting to see kind of that backup point guard spot behind Andrews whether it's going to be McClendon getting some of those minutes or if we're gonna give him to Vide I don't know um but we can we can get into the the depth in a in a second. But are you are you expecting kind of this twin tower situation with uh, Mara and Bona? Yeah. So I I actually think, and I don't know who's in the starting lineup versus, but but I think in the best five lineup that we have, like the team that closes the game. Just seeing enough of Berke uh, through this FIBA World Cup, I I don't think that he cannot play. Just given who we have on this roster uh, and his skills, um, he's the guy that I think is like most ready to contribute on day one of all the people that we're bringing in. And so I feel like he's going to have to play at that four spot. He he has some of that Jaime Jaquez game in him. Um, he can shoot the ball well. Uh, very crafty, is, is a great passer by all accounts, um, and great at getting deflections. So I think he's perfect for there. And the five spot's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Adem Bona didn't come back to sit on the sit in the stands. So I think he's definitely, and he, and he has mixed trust. So he I think he's going to be playing. So I think a lot of this is, you know, how ready is Adai Mata to, to play? Um clearly a great talent right he's seven foot three and i mean i think from whatever we've seen of him on tape at least he has all the skills to have a very long successful career in basketball um in, in insane talent how much of that's going to be ready next year uh and, and you know what we can talk about the stat stuff in another podcast but that ultimately i think depend determines can we do have this twin tower set up along with you know again these are freshmen so, you know, getting Bona, Mara, and Berke on the floor all at the same time, this is the Pac-12 they play in. It's not Europe anymore. They're going to be all, all having like three, four fouls in like three minutes because the guys that they are going to guard, this is college. They're going to be all guarding like six, six guys um, minus like the center. And so that, that I think ultimately determines how much we can play that kind of a lineup. Well, and and the Pac-12 will be whistle happy regardless of of uh, the size of the other player. I I I think the the idea of so I, I I agree with that. First off, I think Burke is going to get starter level minutes regardless of whether he actually starts or not. But I think he's his time between you know, kind of that last wing spot and the four will be spread out and, and he's going to be playing a lot. I think the prospect of having Burke, Bona, and Mara on the floor together and the length and size defensively that that creates, uh, it, it makes me salivate. Like, I am excited to see that lineup get rolled out at some point because I think Mick Cronin can wreak havoc with that type of defensive um, ability from from a team. Not to mention, like, Fibule is plenty long, plenty athletic, and, and by all accounts is a good defender, and we've seen it from Andrews. So having, like, that is a that is a deadly defensive lineup. And I think this team will be the longest, probably most athletic team that we've seen under Mick Cronin at UCLA to date. Um, and that, just that prospect alone has me super excited, regardless of, you know, there's some holes. We understand there's you know, where's the three-point shooting coming from? Where's the leadership coming from? The experience, all that. But let's let's put that aside for one second and just let's think about having that athleticism and that length, which has been kind of our Achilles heel over the last few years with our with our team is, you know, I love that t- those teams to death, the Jaime, Tiger, Clark, you know, David Singleton, love those teams to death. Um, they gave us great memories, but the one knock on them was always... You know, they that 
that team collectively lacked some athleticism and lacked length. And when we played against long athletic teams, we often struggled. And it will be hard to find another team that can can match us in that the um the size and and athleticism i think and that is exciting to think yeah. about the the main thing that i think will stop that lineup from getting on the floor is foul trouble fouls yeah right That's fair. um but b- because and also like I, we have to watch bear k play more does he have the foot speed to guard a 3 uh in college but with that said this is where i think that lineup gets really interesting um you can play, you know, different kinds of coverage. You can essentially play a type of a drop coverage where if you are playing a four-out team, which a lot of college you are going to be playing that, um, you can funnel players into your into the bigs, and good luck. I mean, just, just good luck with that. Right, right. Right, right? So, um, so even if Burke is getting beat off the ball a bit, you can essentially make it to where a player's going to have to make a, a tougher mid-range shot or he's going to risk getting to the rim and just getting his getting the ball stuck. Obliterated. Yeah, get, yeah, just getting obliterated, right? And the other thing We've is... We've seen Bona do that already. Like, the man protects the rim like no tomorrow. Well, and what I think is really interesting about it is Bona's a great weak side shot blocker. And in this case, if he's guarding the four-man, he can always come from that side and swat it. Now, you know, the type of team that could probably beat that is one with, you know, multiple ball-handling guards that can pass out. But again, how many of those exist in college? Not um, a lot. Right? So so that's where that gets interesting. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. I'm super curious to, to see it. Um, and I, I also want to just point out, you pointed this out earlier, but, you know, these European kids are coming in with a little bit more experience, I would argue, than some of the high school players. Like, they've been, to your point, been playing against grown men for a number of years now. And I think that level of competition that they've been playing against gives them a a little bit more experience and toughness than, saying, a freshman recruit out of high school might have. Um, And and Europe has some high-level basketball now. It's not like they're they're playing complete scrubs like there's some high level basketball being played overseas and you know just just from the the merits of playing against actual grown men versus other 16 15 17 year olds like I, that that gives those players a little bit more of an edge too and and a little bit more experience so i do think that they'll come in a little more ready than your average you know 17 year old freshman player all will be very, very, very interesting to see. And uh, he, we, we have so many things we could talk about with this basketball team. Um, you know, the, the Spain trip is coming up in, in August. Hopefully by then uh, we'll have everyone enrolled and, you know, no, no more mysteries as to, you know, who's actually committed or not and all that. Um, yeah, word is early August when the, what is that last summer session starts. And then they leave for Spain, I believe, uh, second week or third week of August to, to play their games. So that, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun, just reading about how that's all going. Um, yeah, it sounds like Adam won't be playing, unfortunately. So we won't see the full fruition of our, our, our uh, vision here, but um, maybe we'll see glimpses of it with the other guys. Something else big happened in the other sport, revenue sport that UCLA plays. It's called football. Have you heard of it? Um, uh, I try to bury the, the memories of football down, deep down. <laughs> uh, so UCLA is joining the Big Ten. and This will be the final year of UCLA in the Pac-12 this upcoming season. And in 2024, they will be joining the Big Ten. Um, and for a long time, uh, that's just kind of been an idea, right? That's just kind of been um, like a, a thing that we knew that was going to happen. And we had fantasized a lot about, oh, well, uh, what, what if they have to go all the way to Rutgers or, Hey, what if we have to play Ohio state and Michigan and USC all in the same season? And those all went from ideas to like actual reality now. Um, like, I don't know about you, but when the schedule was released for the big 10, um, that just kind of hit me in the face. Like, wow, this is actually happening. Like we are going to be playing these teams. Um, that was just my first reaction to the whole thing. My first reaction was like, 
Where are the wins here? I see like three. <laughs> uh, and and give give Chip Kelly some credit. Like we've obviously been on an improving you know trajectory, uh, but but last season really felt disappointing. Um, and and we'll see what we we do this season with a new quarterback and whatnot. We'll get into that a little bit, but man, looking at that schedule and realizing that we're making road trips to Iowa and Michigan and then, you know, even going all the way to Rutgers, which, you know, I, I, I don't think, hopefully we don't struggle with a team like Rutgers, but uh, it scares me to, to think about what would happen, you know, at the big house or you know when we do make that inevitable trip to the horseshoe like those 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 trips scare me even even Iowa scares me um yeah the UCLA fan reaction to this has been interesting right because um i think you have your reaction which is a fair one i'm all, i'm also just an an eternal pessimist when it comes to UCLA football at this point so you know, take take whatever I say with a little bit of grain of salt. It probably won't be as bad as I'm projecting, but yeah, I've been burned too many times in the past at this point. So, and then you have until another, you show me something. Yeah, well, you have another. One. You have another kind of reaction that's basically one of the Big Ten isn't as good as we think it is, um, and it mainly it it's it's a league that has three really elite teams in Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Um, but the rest of the, them is beatable. And I think the answer, it lies in between. Um, so obviously, I've been watching the Big Ten for a long time, right? Ever since I started watching college football, I've been watching the Big Ten for a long long time. I, was, I, I grew up a Michigan fan. Uh, the Big Ten, I would say, has been at its best um, in its history, right from about 2014 to 2018 or so like i think that period right there um it was a deep deep league you had ohio state um with urban meyer michigan with jim harbaugh iowa was uh they they, they won a big 10 title somewhere um in their one had like a 10 11 win season michigan state and mark d'antonio were still rising and actually made a playoff uh in there Wisconsin was always knocking on the door of that playoff, never quite got over the hump. Same with Penn State. Um, that period of Big Ten football was scary. Um, you just named half the league. I just named half the league, and like when I, I'm not exaggerating any of that. All those things happened. Michigan State made a playoff. Like Michigan came within like two or three plays of making many playoffs, but Ohio State made all those playoffs. Uh, Penn State came up like almost got in there right and Iowa so so that period was was probably the best ever since then um, you know everyone's kind of traded places a bit right and Michigan Ohio State Penn State have kind of always been still consistently very very good um, if not elite but that middle of the pack um, is still solid but it's not like everyone is good at the same time so so why does that matter here? Um, if if things stay that way, you know, two years from now, we're not joining the Big Ten of 2015, where, like, literally every single team is going to be good. But we are joining a league that, um, you know, is going to have an elite top tier that doesn't really exist in the Pac-12, right? Like, from a historical standpoint, USC is that team that has uh, that that kind of recruiting cachet and ability to ratchet up an elite program. Oregon's kind of like been in that mix as well. Um, in this league, we've got three teams that recruit at a top 10 level. Um, and Ohio State recruits at like a top three level. Uh, so so that that's like that side. You then have this middle tier, which I will call, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Nebraska, um, any one of two of those teams in any year ha- are probably going to be like nine win teams or above. Um, and like winning in those places is, is going to be very hard. And then you that's, get to... Yeah, and I think that's our goal. Like let's get into that tier to start with. 
because we're not getting to that top three tier. So where can we play? And I think that feels like a realistic expectation to me. I think that is a realistic expectation because I would say UCLA right now is somewhere between that tier and the next tier because the Big Ten does have a bottom tier. There is like an ugly field here um, it, with Rutgers, Indiana, Northwestern, Purdue. Well, Northwestern has fallen apart at this point. So. Right. Um, Maryland just had their like best season, like one of their best seasons ever. They went 8-5, and five, right? So, like, there is a bottom tier. Now, with that said, the bottom is probably they, – they just have programs with some more potential than the ones at the bottom of the Pac-12. But UCLA right now, I would say, is, like, between that and this middle tier. Um, just based on if we, if we say that the Pac-12, you, you know, you can reduce, like, your win totals by, like, one or two. Um, and I think that middle tier is probably – the, the field we want to play in which is like let's win the home games um you know beat consistently beat the bottom opponents and like try to nick one somewhere else in the middle like that's probably how you do that yeah i, I think that's our goal like that's our target let's get into that middle tier to start with and let's kind of stay there and get entrenched there and then we can develop and see where where we go and, and try to make some runs at the the conference titles but it's gonna be tough again i'm the eternal pessimist so i don't really have a lot of faith in this especially with how you know recruiting has been so topsy-turvy for for us uh, under chip kelly uh development obviously is on the defensive side has not been great uh, we have new coordinators and whatnot but remains to be seen there's just a lot of open questions i think that are fair to ask right now um, about this program going into the Big Ten in in a year and how we will fare against some of these teams. Well, the main question is is the one you just mentioned, right? It's it's defense. Um, Because, again, I've watched enough of this league to tell you that I think UCLA's offense can compete in the Big Ten. Um, Our our offense has never been the problem, though. Like, our offense can compete with most teams in the country, I would say, especially the last couple of seasons, like we had an elite offense. I'll say that we had an elite offense. Like there was no issue with the offense. Yeah. And so, you know, defense definitely, you know, you're not going to be able to go on the road in the big 10 and get away with the, the soft putty piss poor defense that we've been putting around. Um, like on this in this schedule in 2024 in particular, uh, I look at because I think you know it's going to be wonderful to see Ohio State come to the Rose Bowl. It's just from a pure spectacle standpoint. Uh, you know the the, the Bucknuts they they earned their name. Um, that's that's what they call their fans. They definitely earned their name. They're as crazed a fan base as there is anywhere in the world. Um, so that's going to be a spectacle. But we're probably going to get killed, um, right? And so we get we're get killed by them michigan loses a lot in 24 so i'm curious to see what what they're going to look like um but probably we're going to lose up up in ann arbor the swing games in this schedule if you look at it it you know games like minnesota at home or iowa on the road um especially iowa on the road if you go up there with a piss poor run defense you're losing you're gonna the game. get run over. Yeah, you're yeah. losing the game. That's it. You're done. Because because they're always gonna force a turnover. They'll get a punt return, and you know, next thing you know, it'll be this frustrating, dominating twenty-one to ten win, um, and 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 that's just that's just how it goes. So that is is where obviously everything's been being held back, and we have a new defensive coordinator this year. Um, you know, this year seeing what that defense looks like will probably be indicative as anything um, just going forward for the overall health of the program because recruiting at this point is what it is. It's not changing. And, you know, can we develop some semblance of, like, a top 50 defense? Um, that's, that's I think, what the, the question is. I feel like we've had – we I, I don't feel like we've had this conversation. I know we've had this conversation <laughs> every year. Like – how pathetic is it that we come here on this podcast every year before football season starts and all we do is beg 
for a top 50 defense. Well, like, not okay. even a top 10, not even top 50, not even top 25. Top 50 defense. Like, That's let, just let, fucking let me, sad, man. Let, let me do a little, like, glass half full stuff here, right? Because it's gotten... At this time last year, we thought, like, the world was on fucking fire, right? Like, we were scared our offensive line was going to be, like, a bunch of nobodies. Um, you know, we thought our offense would be good. I didn't think we thought it would be this good. So, on that side of the ball, I think not only have we, like, when you say offense isn't a problem, it's not only that it's not a problem. Like, it is legit good enough to compete with anybody in the country. Like, some of these teams in the Big Ten, like, I know we are going to – like, when we play Ohio State, we, we can score points on Ohio State. Um, Chip Kelly has just completely failed to build a, a defensive staff here. And this is now his essentially third coordinator. Because, I mean, you had Jerry Osnaro, and then he was still there, but uh, Brian Norwood uh, came along. And then, uh, you know, of course, last year, you know, the – the unfortunate situation there with Coach McGovern, um, rest in peace. Um, rest in peace. You know, this year, you know, DeAnthony Melton, we'll, we'll see how it goes. He's saying all the right things, right? Like, we're going to play fast and, you know, we're going to be physical and all the stuff that every coach says in spring. Um, but we don't, just don't know until we, we see the results. Did you just call him DeAnthony Melton? Isn't it DeAnthony Lynn? DeAnthony Lynn, you're right, yes. <laughs> And Danton, not D'Anthony. Isn't that a USC basketball player? Melton. Jeez, did I just call it? Shit, man. <laughs> I, was, I was real confused for a second. Like, what? Um, anyways, yeah. Danton Lynn, your, your buddy Anthony Lynn's son, um, is our D coordinator now. Former Chargers a great legendary coach Anthony Lynn he was a legend he led us to that 12 and 4 season <laughs> we haven't had many of those right like I'm mean, when was the last time we went to 12 and 4 um fair yeah he comes with the Ravens uh you and I have had that conversation right about you know the track record of Ravens coaches going on to be, be very good defensive coordinators and and obviously you know, he, he wasn't at the level that some of the others have, which is, you know, Jesse Minter, Mike McDonald, who's now back with the Ravens. Um, so we'll see, but, you know. He was he was a well-regarded coach, though, with the Ravens staff. I think people seem to have always respected him, and, and he seems to have a good football acumen uh, based on what I've, I've you know, read about with the Ravens. I'm yeah, a Ravens you're, fan. You're a Ravens for, fan. Yeah, for people who are wondering. Yeah, he was he was well-regarded on the staff. There is a track record to, that you mentioned of Ravens coaches making the jump into college and being successful, um, but he is and and he is young, right? So he he lacks some of that experience some of these other guys had when they made that jump. But uh, I don't think the youth is an issue here. I think the youth is actually probably a good thing. We have some energy, some charisma, some enthusiasm, uh, which can help with recruiting and whatnot. Obviously, so that that part is exciting. I don't know what we're going to get with him uh, at this point. I will reserve judgment until I see what is put on the field. I will give. I I feel like it's only fair as a fan base to give him a fair shot. I'm not expecting a ton just because I'm jaded and negative. Yeah, well, I'm not expecting uh, a ton because like we basically have a lot of the same players as last year, um, and like I think we have good players enough to be again a top 50 defense so that's going to be my threshold there um you know can we get to that level because i do think we have good enough plays for that um a top 50 defense last year would have probably won us 10 to 11 games yeah yeah that, that that's that's right just looking back at it looking at the stats and the data if you probably crunch those numbers you bump that defense to top 50 we win two more games three more games maybe like it's 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 so depressing to think about. That's all we we're asking for is a top fifty defense to 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 get us over some of these humps. Yeah, I mean the overall. But I digress. Of, the, the state of the program right now, right? If you look at it, is we had two terrible seasons under Chip Kelly. We then went to an eight win season and a nine win season, and a lot of the conversation right now is, hey, UCLA fans, would are we okay with that? Are we okay with? 
eight and nine win seasons. And, and to me, I almost feel like that's the wrong conversation. Um, the conversation is, do we feel like we have something that's sustainable that, that can, that can last, even if it's at the it's eight, eight never nine win felt level, sustainable. right? And even at the eight or nine win level, because, you know, with, with the kind of schedule that we've had, um, the kind of schedule we're about to have this upcoming season is an eight, nine win season. there going to be worth, what it is the year after and the year after that when we move to the Big Ten. Um, do we have the right, you know, player acquisition, development, coaching scheme, mechanism set up, particularly on defense, to succeed at that level and continue this going? I think that's the better conversation to have because, you know, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule this year. Like, I'd be disappointed if we didn't win eight games. Like, what is this thing? Um, eight 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 games would be a disappointment. <laughs> like yeah. it's not a it's it's the softest schedule. We we've been playing nothing but soft schedules, and even with the, with that, we've been you know coming up short in big situations and coming up short from being from truly having good to great seasons. Like we've had okay seasons, like eight nine one seasons with those schedules. If you look at them in a vacuum, you're looking at like old history books in 10 years, like, oh, you said I won eight games or nine games. That's respectable. But if you dug a little deeper and looked at the schedules and looked at some of our roster, you would quickly realize how disappointing that actually would be. Yeah. And, and again, like, I don't think the, the problem isn't so much that eight and nine is disappointing. It is with the schedules. I think in the context it is right? that's that's the no point. I, I I agree and and I think you could have gone over the top and had a ten win season and then we wouldn't have to have this conversation right um, but do we have the thing set up to where you could win between seven and nine games on a year and year out basis or is there danger that like you know one year you know say you you're recruiting. Uh, your, your recruiting pipeline dries up a bit, which it often has from the high school ranks. You miss out on a few transfer portal targets, and you're never good on defense to begin with anyways. Because um, that thing plummet just overnight. And Well, that's what it feels like. Right? That's what it truly feels like. I, I think you're you're spot on, right? We want to be in this the position to where seven to nine wins are just like on autoplay every season. With the, with the goal every couple of seasons to get into that position to get into that 10 to 11 you know potential playoff zone uh position like that's where we want to be every couple of years with seven to nine wins just being normal like that should just be the the baseline here yeah. but we're not i i don't feel like we're 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 in a position to say we're uh, we've hit that baseline or we've established that. I don't think it feels sustainable enough, and I don't think we've seen enough from recruiting. I don't think we've seen enough from, obviously, the defensive staff yet. We have a new staff now, so we'll give them some some leeway here. So not their fault, but you know, historically over the last few years and how Chip Kelly's managed it doesn't give me a lot of confidence that this thing is sustainable right now. But I, I've yeah. I'm plenty of times been wrong. So if, if they prove me wrong, great. But yeah, I just I don't see it yet. We'll give them the credit where it's due, right? Like, I think once again this year, you know, one side of the ball I think is is just about solved. In, in the sense, we're going to revamp a lot of players this year. Um, a lot we'll of, see some hiccups there. We'll see some hiccups. But I think last year we had the conversation of, hey, like, who are, the, who are our offensive linemen? And... We have a bunch of transfers coming in. Are they going to be up to snuff? And we had a very good offensive line last year, um, by all accounts. And I think this year we're we're probably headed for something similar there, right? Um, skill players. We trot. We lose Jake Bobo. We're going to bring in Jay Michael Sturdivant and some of these receivers who I think they're going to be great. Um, you know, we have a pipeline there of player acquisition and development and in-game coaching that seems successful, it seems sustainable, even if it's not going to be top five every single year, right? Um, the other side of the ball, we don't have the player acquisition. We don't have the player development. We don't have the coaching. We have just not put together a very good defensive staff there. And 
you know, it's interesting because you, you listen to, you know, some of the stuff Josh paid actually, um, on, you know, the two, four, seven national desk, uh, had his thing about chip Kelly and how essentially he, a lot of the luster he's lost is because he just has not been able to put together a defensive staff and he never had to at Oregon. A lot of that was already set up for him, you know, with Mike Bellotti and, and, and co. And he came in and kind of took it all to another level there. Um, that part has just 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 not been up to snuff and ultimately that's either going to make or break this thing um but we'll see and we've been saying that for for a while and i i don't think that we're gonna see chip kelly gone in the next two three years i i, I think well, he's no, gonna be we're gonna here. win we're gonna probably win eight games this year right if not more um i mean we better hopefully hopefully shit like <laughs> we better win eight games this year and then the year after, it'll be our first year in the Big Ten. And if he struggles, you know, struggles there. And then after that, probably becomes a turn to turn of the year. Our our first year in the Big Ten also includes a non non conference game in Baton Rouge against LSU. So. Yeah, so the amount of travel in twenty twenty four is just <laughs> That's, is, yeah. is insane because we go we go to Hawaii, who suck, but we go to Hawaii, then we go to Baton Rouge, and then we're gonna be playing in all these Big Ten cities. Um, so that's definitely going to be a rough season. Now that said, I mean, we set up nicely in the sense a lot of this team is probably back, um, on, on offense, you know, for that season. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a tough, that's a toughie. Yeah. It's going to be a brutal, brutal season. I'm not expecting a lot that year, but Hey, who knows? Maybe Dante Moore will be the truth and we'll be in a good spot but again like we've seen this before and I, I feel like we're just parroting the same thing over and over again but you know DTR was a great quarterback by his last year and even as good as he was with the offense as good as it was could not get over the 10-1 hump and so you know as good as Dante Moore might be that it's all gonna hinge on the defense and uh yeah, we'll we'll see where where we go. We will see. Um, I think we have done just about as much as we can for tonight. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll uh, we'll just keep monitoring what's going on. Um, I think we'll be back in the next week or two with um, some more updates, hopefully on on basketball recruiting and and what's going on with football. Uh, the Spain trip for basketball is right around the corner and then fall camp is, is coming up for football. So lots, lots going on for sure. And lots to talk about. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a, a quiet period to some degree for UCLA sports, but not a bad thing for our, our mental health. Not a bad thing at all. This is a, this is a great time of year. We get to predict and predict and predict and, have no consequences for it it's great exactly um well with that uh i think we'll sign off uh please follow us on on twitter uh we're not on threads yet but we probably will make that move at some point um you can access the the podcast though on spotify apple all your normal podcast platforms and uh until next time as always go bruins Go Bruins.